Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All righty, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Auto Bid. My name is Aaron Robertson, joined, as always, by my twin brother, Andrew Robertson. And today we got a special guest, man. We got one, one, one of the DMV's most influential basketball figures. And I hate admitting that, you know what I'm saying? Because Rick is really my little bro, you know what I'm saying? But uh, mentor, uh, one of our great friends, like a big brother to us, man, Ricky Goings. Uh, we appreciate you for joining us today, man. Of course. So uh, we, we want to give give the, uh, the viewers a little bit of a background about you, man. Obviously, um, grew up in the area. We tease you and, and call you Moco Rick because you spent some time in Moco and in, in PG County and in DC. You're one of the few people that that has spent time in both counties, man. But obviously, obviously, uh, after you know playing in high school, we we're able to get into a little bit of the entertainment, uh, entertainment side, and also on the hoop side a little bit. And now, obviously, you do um, some NIL consulting. But you're a man that wears many hats, so, so I don't want to, I don't want to. Uh, to reduce your your your, uh, your your job description nowadays, but just give the, the, the viewers a little background about you know uh, your background and how you got into doing what, what you're doing today. Oh, you know, thank you guys for having me, man. I'm so proud of you guys for building this platform and you know the impact it's having on college basketball. You know, I started out just you know trying to help kids get basketball scholarships. Um, I was about 20. Well, prior to that, I was doing some NBA management stuff. Um, so about 2013, I decided to start working with. Um, you know, high school athletes that couldn't find scholarships, um, you know, built a program for everyone deserved a shot, helped over 50 kids get in school. Uh, we, you know, turned that into the 30-30 Select Combine, in which we were helping, you know, creating exposure opportunities for all public school kids in the area for, for most. Um, you know, that sprouted into leagues and, um, you know, helping kids transfer. And then, you know, that sprouted into NIL consulting. It's just been the growth of, working with kids that, you know, don't get what, you know, what a lot of, well, you know, basketball is very political. So my goal and everything I do is try to eliminate some of those politics and just say, hey, if you put a kid on the same playing field, whether it's, you know, a game, exposure opportunity, we'll find out who the who who, who stands out. And um, I think I've had a lot of success working with kids in that area and I see the kids benefit from that. Yep. Now to speak a little bit, you know, on, on your resume for the guys, for the, uh, the viewers who don't know, man, I mean, you helped the Pepper of guys transfer up. You know, you had Corey Holden, who was number one transfer a couple of years ago. Marquise Reed, who was uh, obviously all ACC guy at Clemson. Rodney Pryor was a starter at Georgetown in the Big East. My brother and I also obviously going from Quinnipiac to Coppin State, man. I mean, we can go on and on about the amount of guys that, that, that you worked with and helped. Um, I just want to ask you, man, like when you first were getting into kind of this – EDS thing and you know helping guys get recruited, helping guys trans, helping guys transfer to, to different schools. Like, 
what was the motive? Like, what, what was your motivation? You know, what, like, what, what kind of made you want to take that as, um, as a kind of a, a route to kind of help guys? Cause at, at the end of the day, man, like, you know, you didn't have to do it, you know, just something that, that you kind of did, you know, out of the goodness of your heart to kind of help guys out. And a lot of guys in today's industry, you know, they, they do it for the money or you know, for things like that. But so I want to ask you, man, like, you know, for you, like what, what made you kind of want to take this route? Um, well, it was because um, it was an extension of what I was already doing. So helping kids get scholarships. And then you realize, well, you know, high major schools or opportunities in college are, again, like political. Like, you know, I'm, because I played for takeover, that means I'm more fit for Merlin than the next guy. So um, specifically when I started working with Marquise, when he signed with Robert Morris, and a lot of people don't know this, man, he tried out for his scholarship. So he tried out for Robert Morris. They didn't offer him until the third day. He's about to leave. So he started playing well. He had a 24-point game against North Carolina. And I had texted him after the game, and I said, I think he can play on that level. So he was, like, checking to it. So I started reaching out to schools, and I can do it. Um, players can't. But, you know, reaching out to schools, saying, hey, you know, check this kid out. See if he's somebody you think that can play on that level. Ironically, he ended up having a game against Clemson where he had, like, 20-something points. And so the motivation was, okay, once you get on that college level, it's just a matter of, to me, it's not a matter always of your skill set, but a matter of just, you know, positioning. So he showed he could do it on a high level, um, averaging 20 points a game against the ACC at Robert Morris. Um, and he had some really good teammates with him, Rodney Pryor, Elijah Many, some other guys who helped transfer. And then I started saying, wait a minute, you know, just because you go to scholars on a scholarship don't mean it's the best fit and don't mean that you got to, quote, unquote, deal with adversity. So helping guys finding once they get to college, find an opportunity for them to be in the best position to make money afterwards. And that's what drove me. And most of our guys have had pro opportunities um, after that. And then, you know, once Corey came, the year I had Corey and Rodney, Corey was the number one transfer in the nation. Rodney was like number five or seven. So I had everybody in the country calling me. And since then, uh, they called me the, the transfer portal before the before the portal. And then just the last thing is, another thing that motivated me was helping kids be able to transfer. Prior to the portal, you had to get, get a release. Those weren't easy things to do. And I've dealt with complicated situations with that. So just my specialty is just figuring things out. And so now I, I I I kind of want to hone in on that because I don't think people really understand how how hard it was to transfer before the portal was a thing. Mm -hmm. Like people people were, were were getting getting held up trying to get their releases at, at a lot of these schools, mm -hmm. man. And and so I want you to talk a little bit about that just to give the viewers a because obviously a lot of people you know are new to the transfer portal game. And without saying any names, obviously we don't want to get anybody in trouble, but you know, just to talk to me about, about you know, what it, what it was like um, before the portal, you know, and, and, and how hard it yeah, was to before, before, help guys transfer. Yeah, before the portal, it was very difficult because it was a lot of spite and it was a lot of control. College coaches literally could say, you know what, I don't want you back and push you out, but if I want you to stay, I won't let you leave. And it, it wasn't just, like, a matter of, like, you know, holding a release. It was also how they did the releases. So I remember working with a couple guys where they got the release, but they were restricted for transferring to over 100 schools. So, like, it's like they literally could just dictate and say, you can't play here, you can't play there. I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about this with Donald Curry's transfer to Georgetown, Merlin from Georgetown. I'm like, let's not act like this is weird. This really couldn't happen before. Because on a release from Georgetown, one place you couldn't go was Merlin and vice versa. So, like, the portal was just saying that, hey, I don't need a college coach to tell me what I'm going to do with my future. Kids are going to be responsible or irresponsible, but that's their choice, right? So, you know, just going back to that, like, 
you really saw how vindictive and nasty college coaches were during a release process. And kids didn't have the ability to go on a platform and say, man, they held me up because then it destroyed their own character. So, you know, I think the transfer portal is a good thing when people understand what was going on for the last 40 to 40 to 40 to 50 years. Now, one of the other kind of new phenomenons outside of the transfer portal nowadays in college basketball is NIL. And due to your relationships with college coaches that you kind of had and relationships to players, you've been able to kind of grow in this NIL space now the way you're doing a bunch of consulting work and things like that. But people who kind of are still unfamiliar with NIL, right? What are kind of some of the biggest challenges that coaches are facing right now when it comes to NIL? Um, and what do you think is the biggest gap between the schools that are figuring out at a high level and the schools that still have a, a ways to go when it comes well, to figuring out NIL? The, the, the biggest gap between those two schools is alumni involvement, right? So it's, it's how much money and resources the schools alumni are willing to put into. Remember, the NCAA and most state laws restrict schools from having um, actual hands-on involvement in NIL. And the coaches cannot have a hands-on involvement in NIL. So who's really running this train? So it's typically the alumni. So at the, 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 the schools in the South, you see, well, the Alabamas and the Texas a they have a huge business community of alumni. They have oil money. They have all these big business monies that their business is, is, can tie into the success of these programs. When you come to the smaller schools, you come to the East Coast, you don't really see that. There's other things going on. People have their money in other places. Um, so uh, the schools that, like, the smaller schools that are figuring out are finding out how to engage their local communities, right? Small things, like maybe there's a dealership that uh, the owner once went to that school or um, a barbershop, but the key to NIL is understanding exactly what it is. NIL is making, having the ability to make money on who you are as an athlete in your own image. For 40 years, you couldn't sign an autograph, you couldn't sign a jersey, you couldn't do any of that. None of those things are here. The question becomes, how hard are kids willing to work for their NIL, right? How how much work am I willing to put in to make money off my image? Am I willing to tweet? Am I willing to post? Am I willing to connect with businesses versus somebody just supposed to hand me money? And I think that's another another breakdown. Just a, a quick follow-up to that. As far as like the coaches that you've spoken to, like what are some of the things that, that, that they're saying as far as challenges to NIL and things that they're still trying to work well, through? Well, it's a double-edged sword for them. One, they, they're trying to find guys opportunities for NIL because I keep them at the school. On the other hand, how do you manage the locker room when, when guys are making more money than you, when guys are making money than others, when when you got a guy that's been grinding for you for three years and another guy show up to the locker room with a two-year, $800,000 deal? Like, that's a weird dynamic to be in, and that's what makes so coaches so hesitant because they got to deal with, the, uh, you know, the, the fallout, right? Or what if what if you got a kid that got a $200,000 NIL and he's not performing? How does the collective feel about that, right? So, so these are the things that uh, coaches are trying to navigate. To me, last year was a test. This year is the year because even last year, things kind of happened late. Guys haven't really figured it out. Now, you had a whole year to figure out how to execute an NIL. Um, so we're going to see. I've heard stories of locker room fights and uh, different scenarios of schools where guys are fighting over, you know, who's worth more, who should have gotten what. Um, but that's just part to me. It's just market correction, right? It's the NBA locker rooms are like that. You, you want to make billions of dollars off a of college athlete? Deal with this. Now you mentioned something in your response called the collective. Um, for for people who don't know what that means, just kind of explain what the collective is and how that factors into this NIL space. So, so, so the collectives are uh, uh, independent functioning, typically a nonprofit or a for profit, um, by a group of alumni that want to fund money to students. So, 
the the original model for a collective was that the business community could attach themselves to this this collective. And I give an example. Let's say there's a barbershop in Louisiana that want to be a part of LSU. So they can donate $500 a month for a year or whatever, and then they will get uh, advertisement through the collective just partner with the athlete. Now, what's really happened is because of how state laws are written, these uh, collectives have become really just uh, ways to funnel money to athletes. Um, but it's, it's also a way technically to keep the schools out of it, right? What's the danger is that, and what the NCAA worries about it is that these collectives are being used to recruit students, which is not supposed to happen. Once the student has shown up on campus, you can figure things out. But collectives are not supposed to be reaching out to potential student athletes um, to induce them, because that technically will bring about an NCAA violation. It brings about penalty for the boosters. It's just it's not a great situation. But the goal is to involve the business community and fans. Fans can donate to collectives too into the process of putting money in students' pockets. Now, when it comes to kind of NIL and, and today's, I guess, landscape of college basketball, there are a bunch of people who say that, you know, this is going to ruin college basketball because essentially the schools that had the most money are going to get the best players and, you know, the mid-majors who may not be able to get, you know, who may not be able to offer as much money, quote-unquote, even though you're not supposed to use it as a recruiting tool, aren't going to be able to compete and things of that nature. What do you say to that? Do you think that, you know, we're going to see a, a decline in maybe some of the schools that we're used to seeing winning in college basketball and kind of maybe a rise in some of these schools who might have a huge wallet, but maybe may not be, um, I guess, used to winning at the highest level when it comes to college sports? I'll say it's capitalism. This is how it works. Like, you, you use your competitive advantages and your financial advantages to win or lose. The problem people have is when they don't control the dynamics of the means of, of how that works. So, you know, Nick Saban understands that the state of Alabama is nowhere near as rich as the state of Texas, right? So his problem is, is not with NIL as a concept. It's the fact that you can't go tell Texas m donors how much to spend, right? And, and so, and let's be wrong, who, who does it ruin college basketball, college sports for? Who does it ruin it for? Like a guy's not going to go to a school. If I'm a potential first-round pick, I'm not about to go underperform. That don't make sense, right? What it means is that the six linebackers that Nick Saban once had, he might have three now. To me, it works out better. The problem with this big picture is that Coach K's and those guys know he's gone. They no longer dictate the terms of the sport. And that's where the uproar is. But I don't know how do you ruin anything. Uh, locker room fights. Guys been fighting in locker rooms for years. Manage it. These coaches make millions of dollars a year. The assistants make $100,000 a year. Do your job. Manage the locker room. Now, you mentioned earlier, like, obviously, the, the collective is kind of basically um, based off the, the alumni, the, the donors, and, and et cetera, et cetera. But obviously, there are schools, you know, on the East Coast that have, you know, extensive uh, alumni bases that haven't really been able to figure it out. Like, why are, are schools on the East Coast um, struggling when, when, you know, it, struggling in comparison to a lot of schools in the South or the Midwest? Like, you keep expanding on yeah. that a little bit. Yeah, it's because of the involvement of the business community. So when you think about Southern states, number one, typically they're less regulated and more conservative. So the business community has a greater hand in everything. Um, so let's say, for example, I'm an oil executive in Texas um, and I graduated from the University of Texas. And, 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 you know, me seeing the University of Texas be successful 
can drive my business. Maybe I own some bars near there. Maybe I don't like I need Texas football to be good. Or maybe I got or maybe I have ads bought on the Texas Longhorn Network that I need to drive the you know, the value up of, right? So um that's what you see in the SEC and the South and in the East, I mean Northeast in the in, in the West Coast, I would leave out a chunk for LA. That's not what we do with our money. Wizards games don't sell out. You know, Charlotte Hornets games don't really sell out. So um, we don't, you know, business community doesn't need sports to really impact things. They can just go pay politicians. I mean, that's what they do, right? Uh, I'm going to go have dinner on Capitol Hill. I'm going to do those things. My family have other things to do. It's, uh, it's just not as tied into the sports culture. And like you said, it's, it's, it's less professional sports in those areas, right? Like, you know, I don't think Alabama has or Mississippi has a professional sports team. So there's more money to go around um, in those areas into college sports than it is here. Yeah. Now we talked about this a bunch kind of uh, on, on the side in, in our own group chat about how the one good thing about NIL, in, in my opinion, is that we're able to see some of these college basketball stars stick around for a little bit longer. We've mm-hmm. seen this year Armando Bacos coming back to, to UNC, Oscar Sheway, the consensus national player of the year, has come back to Kentucky because they're able to actually make decent money and arguably more money than they would make, you know, on a two-way or kind of a minimum NBA deal if they were to, to, to turn pro. Like, talk about that aspect of NIL and how, you know, this cool. could kind of contribute to college basketball in that aspect because guys might be sticking around for, you know, two or three to four years now. Well, not just that. I think it also plays to some of the things we talk about when we talk about positioning. So, like, if I'm a 5'11 point guard, if I'm a seven-foot big man, like you me and Ace was out in the summer league. Like it's not you don't see a lot of that no more. <laughs> like there's a lot of the guys doing the same things. Athletic. So so I think about like a Sharif Cooper, for example. If he stays at Auburn four years and is collecting NIL dollars, like that may be more money than he'll ever make as an NBA basketball player. So not only does it like give guys an incentive to stay in school and you know, play for national championships to make the quality of that sport better. It's also like, hey, like, you know, Fats Russell and guys like that, I might not have a shot in the NBA, in the current NBA, or Baker. I might not ever be uh, Luca Garza, right? Like, these guys might not ever be the linchpins of the NBA they used to be. But why not make a couple million dollars in college and set your life up and have some options and go overseas or whatever? You know what I mean? Because the NBA has shifted so far towards entertainment that it's X'd out a lot of guys that like can really, really play based off things they don't control. And NIL to me would allow college basketball to be um, a place that's almost like a professional situation. Now, a lot of people have this idea that, you know, NIL only has really affected the high major schools, but there's a lot of lower level schools that are doing some good things in in the the NIL space. I mean, obviously down in our area, we, we have Howard, um, that has been able to do some great things with NIL. But, I mean, talk a little bit about what, what you've seen from some of the smaller schools um, in the area or just on a broader scale and how they've been able to keep up um, in, in, the, in the NIL space or things that they've been able to do. Because, obviously, Howard can't give anybody $100,000, you know what I'm right. saying? But, you know, what, what are things that these lower-level schools can do um, to, to get their players some money? Sure. So so some, even the lower-level schools, they may not have, like, the extensive collective, like uh, – um, you know, Alabama, but one thing they can do is find ways to shift funds financially um, in terms of partnering with actual businesses, right? So you may go to a company that a George Mason alumni that has a law firm and he decides, you know what, I want to put $30,000 in the NIL. Well, you split $3,000 10 ways on a mid-major, low-major basketball team, that goes a long way. Or even 
you know, companies like the one I started, Mid Major Place, I will sign a whole team to a merchandise deal. And now sometimes I'll reach out to people in the program and say, hey, you think you guys be interested? They'll forward the information. You know, they, they can't like negotiate it, they can forward the information. And now I have like 300 kids signed. And some of them kids at D2, D3 schools, I paid over $1,000 to just to sell jerseys. So, like, the program has to be aware of the NIL. No, they can't negotiate, but they can kind of slowly point you in the right direction, the places you can make money. And the ones that are aggressive about it, even if, think about it, if I'm at a low major D1 or a D2 and I'm getting 200 bucks or 300 bucks a month that I wouldn't have normally got, that goes a long way to me picking between two schools. And I think that's how you got to look at it. It's just a little, being a little more aggressive. But keep in mind, even some of the bigger schools don't have collectors. So even some of the biggest schools don't have don't have a lot of money to put it in IL. So they still have to be just as creative. I mean, talking about these bigger schools and, you know, you're talking about some of these bigger schools that don't have money. It makes me think about the trend of, of college basketball right now. I mean, we're seeing, we just saw UCLA and USC announce that they're going to be moving to the Big Ten. You know, there's a bunch of schools that are moving to the, the Big 12 and the SEC. There's a bunch of schools that, that are rumored to be on the move as we speak. I mean, it's, it's, it's looking like more and more that college basketball is moving towards these, you know, two, maybe three power conferences and then the best of the rest, essentially. And all the other schools are kind of have to kind of get in where they fit in. I mean, when you, when you think about that and that kind of the the – what that would look like. I mean, you almost have like an AFC and the NFC almost of, of college basketball, you know, in a yeah. sense. I mean, what do you guys yeah. think about that? I mean, I, I, I think it's because the, the, the money in this business is through TV deals. Like, it's unfortunate that's just what it is. I mean, you're talking about, I don't know, I think you guys saw this, like the Big Ten deal, new TV deal in 2024 is supposed to be worth $100 million per school. That changes a lot of things because now, the private jet, I got to take to USC or UCLA from Maryland. And the thing, the way coaches get to recruit, I think it really makes it. And you topple that with uh, with NIL, you've got a professional sport. And I'm excited to see it because the NBA should not be, or the NFL should not be the only ways people in America can make money off the sport they play. They play for 20 years, 22 years, you know, work their ass off. And all of a sudden now, because I'm not one of the 450, because of politics or whatever, now I can't make money at least I, I fly 5,000 miles away or whatever to another country. Um, I think what these major conferences alignments is pour so much money into these schools, which will trickle down to the players through NIL, um, well, quote unquote NIL. Um, I think um, you're going to see a more like a more kids that are dedicated to their to their uh, to their schools and. Uh, you know, and doing these things. And, and just to kind of tie this on another note, um, when we talk about pay for play, right? Uh, NIL to me is a much better function than pay for play because pay for play leaves open a lot of things to uh, title now. Like that's a whole nother discussion, but like I think NIL, like with TV deals, you're going to see alleviate the need for pay for play. And these TV deals will make sure a lot of student athletes take care of. Uh, yeah, I want, to, I want to say one thing too before I'm, I'm gonna to toss it to, to Ace. Um, I remember last year in the NCAA tournament, it was crazy because they did a, a top five of the highest paid athletes during the NCAA tournament, and like three out of the top five were women. Obviously, number one was Paige Beckers from UConn. I think she brought in like 60k, 60 some k during mm -hmm. just during the NCAA tournament in NIO. I think number two was uh Haley Van Litt from Louisville, and it was one other girl. That was um that was in there as well. I think I think Paulo Bancaro was the only men's player that was like in the top five or something like that. It was crazy. So I think 
you know, to, to your point about Tyler Nyrick, this, this NIL space is going to give not only men, but also women opportunity to make money. And obviously, you know, they're, they're the, the, pre, the people that more likely not stay in school for four years. And I, I, I know for a fact by the time Paige Becker leaves UConn, she's going to be a millionaire for sure. She's not a millionaire already. So um, I think that, that that's definitely a, a fair point to be made. No, um, what I was gonna, what I was gonna say, I just wanted to kind of expound on this this NIL versus play for pay, pay for play thing because I feel like a lot of people think NIL is pay for play, like oh yeah, the best players are just getting this much, that's the amount of money, da, da, da. but like I just kind of want you to expound a little bit well, about that. Well, I think I think people, th- this is my my problem with pay for play. I work for Department of Employment Services for DC during the daytime, so I have to have to deal with the legality of this. There are laws in which you have to pay people for labor. Right. So so it's not like I can just say in, in, in the concept of specifically like state schools and things like that. I'm just going to say, OK, I'm going to give Ace, uh, I'm Murray University, I'm going to give Ace $70,000 um, to play for me. No, like there has to be less laws that govern labor, how many hours you can work, um, uh, how many, you know, um, how much you can be paid versus how much uh, people in, you know, uh, people of, the, of different genders and can be paid. Like there's a lot there. Um, and then there's, there's like, for example, me paying Ace a hundred grand, right? What do I pay the 12th man on a swim team? All that stuff has to be factored in when you talk about labor. Then you got to figure out exactly what the labor is. So like, there's a whole nother rabbit hole that could end up actually causing more problems because now, a person that doesn't bring this much value has to be paid exactly what Ace is being paid, just based off of some weird state law, right? Then you got minimum wage. There's so much encompassed around that, you don't just write a check. NIL, what I like about it is you really can't put a, a cap on somebody's personal value. And I can't be mad at you that you're worth more than me. All that I can do is make myself worth more. So now when people say, okay, um, I have this kid that's going to USC football. Obviously, he's getting more money because he's good. That's true. But what NIL opens the door up for is that there's a kid at Howard that might have a million followers on TikTok. They can also make a million dollars if he does it right. And they got nothing to do with basketball or sports. And that, to me, is the value of NIL. The market eventually will figure itself out. But I think right now, kids have the ability to be creative in terms of how they want to make money. And, 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 and if my skill set puts me in that position, that's one thing, but who's to say that the, the wide receiver that gets this deal from the collective can't also uh, make another million dollars from how many TikTok followers he has. Yeah. I think great, great, great points were made there. And um, I kind of want to put a bow on NAL, man. I want to ask you guys, cause you guys both were at summer league this, this, this last, week in Vegas, man. So I kind of wanted to give you guys the opportunity to talk about Summer League. What were some of the things that you guys saw down there? I know Rick had talked about kind of some of the trends that you saw as far as the actual on basketball that was taking place on the court, man. But just talk about you know, just the, the Summer League experience in general right. so, and some of the big ways. Some, well, Summer League is amazing, man. It's, it's the biggest networking event for professional basketball probably all year. You're around GMs, you're around agents. Um, you get to see the young players, the veterans. Like it's just, it's all about networking. But again, like I said, my best, my biggest takeaway this specific year, this is my second year going, is the transition of the game. Like you can see, if you're not six five, or you're not seven feet and can shoot the basketball, like this, it's closing in on like who's going to get an opportunity. I mean, you're talking about all American guards. They just don't fit a certain prototype. They can't get an invite to summer league. And I think that's only going to get 
uh, more tight. I think you want to see less little basketball players or traditional basketball players get NBA opportunities. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see over the next 10 years or so. You know, I mean, um, I'll just say, like, to, to, to kind of piggyback of what, what Rick said, I definitely agree with that. I mean, he, he, he watched a lot more basketball than I did this weekend. <laughs> That's for sure. He was only there for like four days. But uh, I, I guess for me, um, I, I'll talk a little bit about, about some of the standouts that I saw. I, I was really impressed with Benedict Matherin um, from the Patriots, man. I, I mean, I think obviously to get him, I believe he got picked six in the draft um, by Indiana. Man, I think he's going to be a star um, for the Patriots, man. Tough, can shoot it, can put it on the floor. He, he averaged about 19 a game. Um, in, in, in the games that I saw him, mean, I think he's going to be going to be a heck of a player for them. Obviously, they, they, they've got rid of um, Malcolm Brogdon, Sabonis is out of there, so you know I, I think obviously him, Chris Duarte, Tyree Halliburton, they've got a nice young core to kind of build around there in Indiana. And then also Keegan Murray, man, Keegan Murray, a lot of people, say, Keegan, Keegan Murray, Murray. Yo, Keegan Murray, bad man, yes, bad is. man. Yo, I think a lot of people were saying, okay. oh, the Kings should take Jaden Ivey. Da, 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 da. I think, yeah. man, Keegan Murray, the, the way that he, that he shot the ball. He can put it on the floor, versatile, can play multiple positions, man. He averaged 23 points a game uh, when he was out there, man. There was one game when they played Orlando. Him and Paolo were going head-to-head, man. It, 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 it was neck-and-neck. And neck. Um, I mean, I, I, I think uh, Sacramento, for the first time in a while, really um, might, might have struck gold here with, with Keegan Murray, man. I, th- I think I mean, he's going to be somebody that potentially could, could be Scottie, a yeah, I think Ke- Keegan Murray and Scotty Pippen Jr. were the most impressive to me. I mean, they just look like they're ready to walk in the NBA and, and, and and make some things happen. So I, mean, I want to see what they do this year. Yeah, I, I'm piggybacking on, on that on that Pippen Jr. as well. Man, he looked really good. He can, can shoot it, can put it on the floor, and just has a great feel. Man, he looks like he like he's an NBA guard. Like he looks like he is ready to play in an NBA game now. He wasn't even drafted, right. so you know I, I think I think he, he's also going to surprise some people next year um, in, in, in the NBA as well. Now, since we're talking about guys that we like and, and favorites and things like that, man, we got to ask you, Rick, because obviously you've been watching a bunch of DMV guys. High school and that high school this summer, you got Jamie Kaiser, Rob Dockery, John Lamont, a bunch of young cats around DMV that people are excited about, man. So, talk about some of the young prospects in the area that that you're excited about, man. And uh, oh man, you're know, really high on Jamie Kaiser. Jamie man. Kaiser, man, that's my guy, yo. He's a pro. I tell him that every day. I'm like, that kid's amazing, man. Because he, he just got his old school flow to me. I love Rob Dockery, John Lamont. That's my guy. Um, there's a freshman at O'Connell, Adam. I can't remember his last name. But he's 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 him, um, Silas, uh, Devonish. It's gonna be really good. Um, but yeah, man, I think if I had to say like the kid, I think they got the brightest future. I gotta say it's it's, it's Jamie Kaiser by far. Like that kid, he's he's does, one of them. Who does who does Kaiser remind you of? If you had to kind of compare the game to somebody, it's so hard, man. Like I don't. It's hard. I'm gonna tell you. If I, had I think he's like a Devin game, Booker. I think he's like a Devin Booker. He plays just, just like that's who I was going to say. Not Devin, as bouncy though. He's a he's 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 definitely got a lot of Devin Booker in his game, um, but he plays so strong. You know what I'm saying? Like like he's not as finesse. Like he wants he's a he's a football player, so he wants like contact when he plays. Whether he's rising up for a jump shot, whether he's um. Attacking, you know, attacking like he plays real physical, a little more physical than Devin Booker does. But his games, like uh, from an optics standpoint, does remind me of of Devin Booker. Um, he's going to be good, man. Where we decide to go to school, I'm excited to watch him. 
Now, before we get off here, I, I want to I let uh, you a chance to kind of tell people about what you're doing now with this Alumni Basketball League and obviously the stuff that's going on. Obviously, you got a big game with Maryland and Georgetown. We'll talk a little bit about that and what you're doing now uh, in that space as well. Yeah, man. So I decided, um, you know, while I'm doing this in the L stuff, um, and I've done Alumni League in the past. You guys have seen them. I was asked to join. I was offered an opportunity to join the Amer- Alumni Basketball League funded, funded by Kareem Rush. Um, you guys know played with Kobe back in the day. Um, he brought me on as a director of team operations. So I'm in charge of putting the roster together, making sure the guys know what to do, and also league operations. So making sure that, um, you know, the games run smoothly and a little bit of marketing and stuff. Me and Mark Stern, my partner from DMV Live. Um, so it'll be an exciting game on um, on Monday, August 6th at the Comcast, at the Xfinity Center between Merlin and Georgetown. Um, Sneak P, we're looking to get to Kansas State, Kansas, two weeks after that. So I'll be traveling and um, really, really having fun with this. Um, it was a great opportunity. I, I, you know, very few people get this chance to actually help build a national league that funded well and have input on everything. So I'm going to see where that takes me, man. I, we got a plan for the next two, three years to make this work. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, we're looking to do South Carolina, Clemson, Duke, North Carolina all next year. Um, so it'll be exciting. I hope we can get Quinn and P.I. in there or Coppin in there with you guys because you got some money for this. Um, keep it going. Sure. That's big time, man. But, you know, before we get up out of here, man, I definitely got to you know, let you know, man, you know, this is this the flower flower section right here, man. I just want to let you know, Rick, man, how much how much I appreciate you. I know how much H appreciates you, you know, how much you've done to help us build this brand here at All Facts Media, our college basketball careers, you know what I'm saying? And, but as you know, man, our relationship goes way beyond basketball, man. You're definitely, you know, family for us, man. And, you know, a lot of people might not give you the flowers that you deserve, man, but you're definitely one of the most influential and, and important people, not only in the DMV, but just, you know, in this in this space as a whole, man. So definitely want to get you on the podcast, man, and let you know how much we appreciate you, man. And, you know what I'm saying? This, like I said, man, this just goes way beyond basketball. You know what I'm saying? Even though you never beat me in a shooting contest, never have, <laughs> never will, you know what I'm saying? I got to give you some love, man, because you're definitely, you know, one of the most genuine people that I've, I've come across uh, in, in my lifetime. So. No, I appreciate you guys, man. I love you guys. And I'm glad to see you keep growing. And, um, you know, hopefully, um, you know, you guys will be, you know, carried on uh, ESPN soon or, you know, whatever network you guys want to do. And, man, this, this has been another episode of the Auto Bid. We want to thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you guys are streaming my guy, Pull Up Tay's music. He's one of the hottest up-and-coming artists out of the DMV. It's going to be him on the outro. That was him on the intro. And as always, make sure you guys are giving us a retweet, giving us a like on Twitter. Excuse me. Giving us a a five-star rating uh, on Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast, man. Tell a friend and tell a friend about the auto bid. And uh, until next time, folks, enjoy your summer. It's going to be Pull Up Tay on the outro. It's time to get a check, boy. Check, boy. You want to sideline, you ain't made the headlines. Now it's time to reject, boy. You bitting on me? What's the topic of discussion? What we talking about? Take your best shot, I'm going to take the last shot. I'm drawing in the clutch, boy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V 
on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.